Welcome to Misinformation, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. everyone and welcome to our one year anniversary episode because as of December 15th we have been at this for a full crazy wild year. Um, As always I'm Rebecca Jones I'm your host and I'm joined with my co-host Cindy. Hello everybody yes what a year it has been it's just the hits keep on coming when Donald (laughs) Trump's around. (laughs) It's been wild. So um, next week, just to give you a preview, we are going to be covering some of the biggest disinformation campaigns of the last year. So not just individual stories, but those that have prolonged pretty much for the whole year that were active campaigns and not just happenstance that, you know, somebody took advantage of a story and tried to use it to further political agenda. These are organized campaigns. And so we'll be covering that next week. So if you're driving to or from relatives from Christmas, you can feel free to catch up on the whole year and or, you know, listen to our year end because it is going to be, it's going to be a doozy. There's been a lot that's happened this year. (laughs) And so as our anniversarial first ever, um, you know, one year mark, we are going to dive right in. And the very first story that we covered on this show was the, uh, this sounds like forever ago now, but it was only a year, the Twitter files. Right. So <laughs> a year ago. The release of a bunch of random information because Elon Musk was like a First Amendment warrior, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Back then. Um, oh, yeah. So <laughs> when Elon Musk took over Twitter, uh, which he decided to kill one of the most recognizable brands in the world for, you know, no reason whatsoever. He started releasing through very bad actors, people like, I think Barry Weiss was one of them, um, who is a known propagandist and all around shit human being who fabricates stories. A series of emails, which Elon Musk claimed, showed that the U.S. government was suppressing people and ideas on Twitter through what he mislabeled as government censorship, specifically when it came to two topics, COVID-19 and the election. Um, Of course, that's not what happened. And they only released, you know, they were like, oh, we're going to have this huge dump of all of the emails ever received. And that's not what they did. They released, you know, selective ones that did not at all substantiate anything that, that Elon Musk was saying. And after independent agencies tried to investigate themselves and Twitter was not cooperative or, you know, spoke to the White House, the story pretty much disappeared because despite months of the far right pushing it and pushing it, be like, what about the Twitter files? Hashtag Twitter files. Turns out it was nothing. Absolutely Big fat nothing. nothing burger. Yes. And Elon yum, Musk yum, had, says the far right. <laughs> yes. Elon Musk was essentially accusing the U.S. government of actively censoring information about a public health in- emergency um, when what they were actually doing was requesting that certain dangerous information, you know, like you should take this if you have COVID, that that thing might kill you. Um, and trying to, you know, just. Dis- 
track terrorism that was being organized on the platform better. And uh, yeah, it disappeared. And it's it should be something that embarrasses Twitter and its brand and Elon Musk forever. But of course, Twitter eventually became embroiled in a number of far worse controversies. And that one now feels like 100 controversies ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was and like millions of followers ago, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and millions and millions of ad dollars ago. Yes. And uh, many, you know, anti-Semitic references ago and, and you know, <laughs> failed DeSantis launch campaigns ago. <laughs> and Twitter, and Twitter please. Yeah, for not even being like one of the 10 most popular platforms in the world. It's, it's amazing the reliance that both the media has on it and that the perception of influence um, across Americans is about it because it doesn't even break the top 10 in social media platforms, not globally. And uh, so that's it's interesting. But um, our second story was a fun one. It was actually less depressing. It was the Andrew Tate um, pizza box theory when he had attacked Greta um, for something about, you know, gassing up his cars or something. And, and you Oh, know, yeah, where he was showing his, like, sweet, awesome hot rod. Yeah, and then he was. Guys with small dicks absolutely do not buy fast yeah. cars and big trucks. Yeah, sure. And uh, <laughs> and uh, there was one where he tweeted something about I don't I don't even remember. It was stupid, but there was a pizza box in it and the rumor became because he was arrested not long after that the um, restaurant that was on the pizza box led to his arrest. They had actually known where he was for a little while, um, but it became a hilarious um, joke that was trending on Twitter. And of course, Greta hit him back as hard as she possibly could. And it was awesome sauce. But uh, that was our second. Then we went back to more dangerous ones. Uh, this also feels like a lifetime ago, but the whole Damar Hamlin died suddenly movement uh, had its day. Um, Damar Hamlin was, a, or is rather, an NFL player who was hit um, very hard in the chest. Uh, so hard that it actually caused his heart to stop. But then, of course, all the anti-vaxxers who, thanks to people like Elon and the whole Twitter files thing, uh, alleged that he was one of all of these young people who were just dropping dead, died suddenly because of the vaccine of all things, even though the vaccine's likelihood of killing you from heart complications is a fraction of what COVID-19 infection can cause. One of the parallel stories to this and why people think this is because of a um, expose that was published about Florida's Surgeon General and about the same time. So it was revealed, as I had already reported the year before, uh, that the Florida Department of Health did in fact manipulate a report on the risk of cardiovascular complications resulting from COVID-19 infections, fabricated the data and politically changed the language to make it seem like the COVID vaccine was a greater risk for cardiac complications than infection itself, which is false. They caught them red-handed. They got the emails between the Surgeon General who like line item vetoed certain parts of, act of, of actual research to present a political agenda that the data itself did not support, which, you know, if you've if you're here and you know who I am, um, sounds exactly similar to what I went through. And um, that was one of the reasons Florida was actually the first state to advise against young people taking vaccines because of that. And they use this report as their justification for it. That turned out to be a complete lie, as 
I reported a year before and didn't catch on, but that's okay. We could have dealt with that a year earlier, but it's okay. It's a lot cooler now that there's all these cool people like Elon Musk and Andrew Tate and crazy other people online who are spreading disinformation about the COVID vaccine. And, you know, we've had elevated deaths and And no one has elevated those people more than the Florida governor by hiring someone to be the new surgeon general who was part of an aggressively anti-vaccine faux movement of doctors who were not actually on the front lines, but called themselves frontline doctors and believed that the vaccines had demon semen um, in them, Satan sperm, whichever alliteration you prefer to, you know, have. Dr. Demon Semen was the one that caught on, uh, but Dr. Satan sperm is also catchy. But uh, yeah, so that is where a lot of that promotion of this heart problem associated with COVID-19 vaccination, uh, which is, again, a fraction of what COVID-19 infection makes you susceptible to, especially a repeat COVID um, infection. And so that's really where that kind of movement became more mainstream. Donald Trump was never into the COVID anti-vax shit. He was damn proud and took credit for, even though, of course, it wasn't him, the development and the deployment of vaccines in its initial stages and would still go out and tell people to get vaccinated, even though he knew he was going to get booed. And so um, that was a one of those big differences between those two camps. And we had a lot of crazy stories around that time, too. We obviously can't go through all of them. We're going to be splicing in clips from our previous episodes. Um, luckily, so far, nothing that we've covered, we have had to correct, which shows you how damn good we are at this. Now, we went and did some controversial things, at least at the time were controversial, mm-hmm. by chasing down sources and being like, this is a very heated moment, or this is you know the story that's being out there. It turns out after we spent you know weeks investigating it, this is what actually happened. And got a lot of shit for it, a lot, mm-hmm. especially among fellow liberals um, yeah. that have turned out to have been correct. We have not had to correct a single story because we do our research here and we don't just talk about the news. We make sure we know what we're talking about, which is not always the case. And um, well, it's it's the difference between having people who are educated and have worked in academia and science uh, and, you know, Tucker Carlson, who dropped out of college and just feels like talking shit. So, yes. Um, speaking of assholes, we have had a lot of stories about assholes this year. <laughs> Unfortunately, Elon Musk is with his platform made himself the center of many things and makes it we can't just ignore his influence and the the types of disinformation he's been promoting. But there were a lot of other important stories that a lot of misinformation spread regarding. And some of those include like the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment. Mm -hmm. We were one of the first people to take that seriously and go in depth with it. You know, I actually spoke to the EPA people and, you know, looked at the reports and eventually after a lot of grassroots, you know, advocacy to cover the story was a major story. Mm-hmm. Thank God, because it was a horrible accident and those people needed help. Um, we had the billionaire sub in Titanic episode, which was a blast. Um, I almost forgot about that one. Yes. Um, it wasn't so much the billionaire sub, although there was a lot of speculative information, which is not the same, again, as misinformation. People speculating while something's unfolding Um, Unless it's done with the sole purpose of 
attacking or trying to lay the groundwork for a later conspiracy is just speculation. And, and a lot of the time it can be very reckless, but not necessarily intentional. Um, but we did talk about Titanic misinformation after that, because I did not realize the number and varied conspiracies involving the sinking of the Titanic. I mean, it went from like bizarre insurance claims to, you know, like secret submarine war activity. I, I mean, it was wild. And you guys should catch up on that one too. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, some of those, we did a few historic type of look backs at different types of misinformation and conspiracies. And one of the things that kind of rose to the top through the analysis was that these types of even the really old stuff that keeps coming up is a way to prime people to believe new conspiracies and new types of propaganda as well. And it's one of the one of the reasons why we keep seeing some of this stuff come back up. Yes. And the purpose, the ultimate underlying purpose behind that is to make people distrustful of institutions and of the government. Because if the government lied about Titanic, it makes it seem like, oh, my God, they've been lying about everything forever. What else is a lie? They want to make people fundamentally distrustful of institutions. Cindy and I do not have the same attitude towards trusting institutions, which is good. It's good not to have two people who just agree with each other all the time. Although I will say this is probably as far as like philosophy goes, the one thing that you and I are not completely aligned with. Yeah. But um and that's because of my personal experiences that were negative with institutions. Like, you know, the Florida government and the Florida Department of Law right. Enforcement and the Florida Department of Health. And right. You had a healthy dose of look how fucked up these institutions can be. And I'm coming, I come from the policy and public administration side where I I believe that we can make institutions and democracy work if we don't have corrupt assholes in charge. <laughs> And I believe it's impossible to keep out corrupt assholes. In fact, I believe they're drawn to it. Um, you know, they say it's something like are more and more too. of like CEOs or psychopaths, like clinical psychopaths or something like that. You know, it, it draws a certain type of person. I believe that institutions reflexively protect themselves above, you know, the people who make up the institution. You see this anytime there's a scandal about rape on a college campus, like the University of Virginia or Penn State or you know, I mean, Florida State, any university who's ever, you know, railroaded someone or a group of people to protect the institution from further harm. Larry Nasser, I was going to say, we talked about that, too, with the um, East Palestine issue as well, because even though the EPA as a federal government agency can serve as a check on you know, local governments and corporations, they have their own interests as well. So sometimes they're protecting the federal government angle instead of necessarily the public angle. So, and there is a solution to this problem. There are multiple creative solutions. One of those is to have independent bodies who govern and review and provide transparency. Um, no institution wants to open themselves up to that. Again, reflexively, they protect themselves. Um, the same way any individual person would probably do if it's, you know, me or somebody else, I'm going to protect myself is, but when you start to, you know, talk about a hundred million dollar endowments and, and all these other things, it, money does cloud it. 
Sure. They are starting to see nonpartisan community kind of advocacy groups uh, with police departments in other parts of the country. There will be anytime there's like an officer involved shooting. I think as Seattle or, or some other West Coast cities have impaneled a review board of mm-hmm. each one of those most extreme cases. And there's not that many of them. People think there's a lot of officer involved shootings there. There normally isn't, at least not in any like specific one city. But when mm-hmm. there is, they'll convene a panel that includes community activists and advocates, uh, faith leaders, business owners, general population, and they will go through everything and decide, you know, what to do next. If we had that for everything, that would be great. Um, but unfortunately, most institutions only conduct internal reviews. And that goes back to the whole, you know, they're going to obviously do what protects them the most. But, um, and, and that's a theme that we see all across, you know, every disaster pretty much. And uh, we've had quite a few. The billionaire sub was just one, which again, uh, would have been prevented if a whistleblower who warned of the exact problem that ended up causing the implosion uh, would not have been fired, um, blacklisted, uh, stalked, harassed, and just, you know, they had just fixed the damn thing. Um, Mm -hmm. None of that would have happened. But lots of, it's a good year for whistleblowers. You know, they're finally getting their come up, you know, their respect and their vindication. Unfortunately, often at the expense of other people's lives, but like, yeah, their entire life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that in terms of my, my optimism that we can make this uh, democracy and institution thing work because, and here's the other thing, the reason why I'm an advocate in that space is because this is kind of like literally the only check we have to oligarchy, right? It's like participatory elected representative government with institutions that are supposed to be serving the people. I do, I'm on the side of that citizen review and stuff like that, but actually the whistleblower um, component and the fact that the United States is actually fundamentally built on whistleblower protections going all the way back uh, to the very uh, year after the revolution in 1777, um, that this is how we can can combat some of those protectionist and the capture theory things that happen within the institution. So I remain hopeful and it is why I remain staunchly in support of whistleblowers, even when they have issues and flaws and as we know and we saw what happened with rebecca that the smear campaigns that happen to discredit the whistleblower in any way shape or form right are so severe that it detracts from what their original message was and this is a combination of you know fabrication and pulling up other stuff and misinterpretation of stuff um and it happens in almost every single case but um we have to and should believe whistleblowers because they are seeing something that we should know yes and you know that's as long as as long as whistleblowers have been a defining thing of america america has also gravely mistreated its whistleblowers um, nobody likes government whistleblowers. The federal government doesn't like them. Reality winner um, spent five years in prison for you know what she did, alerting us of a lot of important things related to 2016. Um, right. But you know, it's there's a reason why we are the ones who say something when you know a hundred or a thousand other people do not, or they stay silent. 
And part of that, um, as my good friends at you know the National Whistleblower Center would tell you, is is the flaws, is the perceived flaws. And that usually means that you have a history of getting in trouble and causing problems because you're the one who never shut up. You're the one who spoke your mind. You're the one who said when you thought something was wrong and that ruffles feathers. But, um, right. you know, it, it's, it's like in your DNA. It's something that, you know, I've talked with Alexander Navalny, uh, not Navalny, holy cow. Alexander, well, he was on my mind too because of, I was just reading the article about how Russia disappeared he him. Disappeared him, yep. Yeah, um, but uh, Alexander Vindman and Dan Ellsberg and everybody else we talk about, it's like we were the only ones who said something because we we're different. And um, that, you know, that they'll they'll use that against you, too. But um, my disinformation campaign isn't going to be on our list of five big ones because mine originated three years ago next month. So it's hardly new, um, although I am actually listing something tangentially related for our big five. And that's what happened to my son earlier this year. And we did not discuss that on this show. And I am waiting to discuss it until after next week for specific reasons. But um, that will be one of the top five stories. Apparently, uh, before the Israel-Gaza attack, what happened to my son was the number two most trending story on Twitter last year. Whoa. So... That is, that's huge. <laughs> um, I tried my best to not involve my son in any way. Like I didn't let him do interviews. I didn't want him, them to do to him what was done to me. And the second you come out publicly, that makes you fair game, even if you're a child. Apparently also, if you're the child of somebody who's a public figure, you also have no protection. But um, we'll be discussing that for the first time um, next week. But um, there was a lot that happened around the same time with disinformation. We had the Nashville shooting mm -hmm. in which a lot of influential people were doing everything from falsely claiming that this was an attack on Christians, which is not right. true, was never substantiated. Um, still a lot of speculation about whether or not the shooter identified as trans because of... Mm -hmm. There, there's not like, I, I've actually been really looking for like a yes or no, this person identified as trans and have not actually found something that said yes or no. There were periods where um, she identified as non-binary, but later was not doing that anymore. And so it's a very mentally ill person. I've read the leaked pages of one of the diaries that the Republicans released thinking it would help them but really only showed a lot of disdain for people who were comfortable in life, people who were happy. Um, she at several points attacks people calling them faggots, which does not seem to be like somebody that is a member of the LGBT community would do. Um, a lot of resentment for happy children. Um, that, that seemed to be it, it seems as like she hated that they had something that she never had. Yeah. And um, she really hated rich people as well um, and nice cars. She talks about that all the time, but had nothing to do with it being an attack on Christians and had everything to do with the fact that that was a school that she attended. And um, but they started that and a whole bunch of other conspiracies. And because we live in America, there have been quite a few shootings this year, quite a mm -hmm. few trials regarding major shootings this year. The Pittsburgh synagogue shooter was convicted on all counts um, earlier this year. And some of the information that came out about that, 
we had the main shooting um, that happened earlier this year, which was a little too close to home for me because my brother's a cop in Maine and they don't have a whole lot. And so they pretty much activated the entire state police force on this manhunt. Thankfully, he had long killed himself um, by the time that they found him. So there was no conflict, but there were periods where they thought he was in a specific building and they had surrounded it and were afraid it was going to end up in a shootout. Um, so mass shootings have always been a, a source of outright lies, um, horrible ones, and which is especially relevant this week because the biggest liar in the yeah. world when it comes to um, mass shootings was reinstated on Twitter. Alex yeah. Jones himself, the man who lost a $1.1 billion defamation suit, the largest defamation award in United States history for claiming that Sandy Hooks was a hoax for specifically attacking parents who had lost their little, little children. We're talking about kindergartners in first grade um, as crisis actors saying the whole thing was staged. It was vile. It was disgusting. He lost that lawsuit. He filed for bankruptcy to avoid paying it. And the judge even said in Texas, sorry, this is so egregious. You're not going to be able to bankrupt, you know, bankruptcy file yourself out of it. You have to pay it. Um, so he was reinstated. You can't sackler yourself out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, as soon as these people find out they're getting sued, they start hiding all their money anyways. But, um, okay. yeah, so it's especially timely. And unfortunately the anniversary of Sandy Hook has also been this week. It's also yeah. a week that uh, it's one of those periods of time that you see more of these things happen especially yeah. in school settings, unfortunately. Um, maybe that's because it's the end of the semester and it's stressful or whatever the reason is. Um, it's a very tense time this time of year. I mean, this time of year, you know, heading into Christmas time and the end of your holidays is always a higher rate of uh, domestic violence and suicide. uh, suicides. Yeah. Um, overall, uh, because of the stress and various things that are going on and having access to weapons increases the likelihood of people following through with said actions. Yeah. And, and we've impulses. talked about gun violence and misinformation about gun violence a lot mm -hmm. earlier this year when a lot of these topics were coming up. Um, and it's just really always important to be like every problem that you think Americans have that is leading to gun violence is a problem that they have in every other country in the world. The only difference is, is that we arm those people. People have mental health issues all over the world. They watch the same movies. They play the same video games. They listen to the same music. I mean, actually, movies in other countries are can be insanely more graphic than what they are here, especially in like Germany and other countries. But um, the only difference is we arm those people and mm -hmm. they don't. And so it's, you know, there was a mass stabbing in Dublin, Ireland, which we also covered on a previous episode. Um, that led to riots in the streets. And my first, my second reaction, I had a first reaction, but my second reaction was how rare are mass stabbings that it resulted in riots in the streets? Like it's, you can't really kill a lot of people in a mass stabbing, but um, that's the worst thing that they have to worry about. But yeah, that's, oh. All right, so the next, uh, we had, some, uh, let's look at, trying to touch on some other ones. We did some awesome stuff with um, Chinese spy balloons and UFOs. Oh, I yeah, did, Chinese yeah. spy balloons. <laughs> I, uh, I did probably the most bizarre interview <laughs> for the news I've ever done during the UFO thing. Um, 
I mean, they, they wanted somebody who, you know, was an expert in that to explain why all of a sudden there were all these UFOs. And so I went on there to explain it just from a technical standpoint. Um, I was like, no, we are not being invaded uh, by aliens. Uh, it's just that normally to monitor things, we filter out very small objects. So like if a flock of birds, you know, is going around, it could set off your sensors if you don't filter for that kind of thing. We essentially turn that off. And so now we're seeing everything that's in the sky, no matter what it is or how big it is. And but I remember I got asked like the weirdest question about aliens. I have to go back and find out what it was. And um, that was the strangest interview I've, I've ever done um, about aliens. And my buddy, Tim Burchett, who is still, you know, I saw an interview with him yesterday, marching to the beat of that drum. He is convinced we are going to get to the bottom of this this thing. That was that was fun. <laughs> a little levity a little levity yeah a little levity um we also get got to celebrate andrew gillum's vindication um after he was not convicted and the guy who um set him up who also was a member of the proud boys was convicted related to his january 6 activities um in rico uh, enrique terrio i believe is his name um so the whole controversy in 2018 and onward about how Andrew Gillum was found drugged up in a hotel with a hooker. The whole thing was staged. Uh, we walked through how he was found not guilty of the, you know, bribery stuff and all the other charges. And then the rest of everything else is missed after that. But the guy who set him up with the whole drugs and hooker thing actually is in prison. So, you know, that, and that happened like the same day, which was the best part of it because it was like sweet justice. Well, and that's, uh, you were getting intel from Lev Parnas, right? I was. He's a buddy. God, this has been a weird life the last few years. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Lev Parnas, who uh, is infamous. Huh? He's trying to make amends. He's on his um, redemption tour. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's call it that. Um, and his son is working for the White House, so I don't really fucking know what to think of all that. But uh, so <laughs> yeah. strange bedfellows. Speaking of so, strange bedfellows, I got a new friend this year um, who, you know, it's, yeah, I know. We're going to talk about her. Uh, I, I don't oh. talk too much about my friendship with Laura Loomer, but um, I get along with her okay as long as we don't talk about anything other than how much we hate DeSantis. <laughs> but, um, you know, we've helped each other with stories taking him down, which has been fun. Um, she is truly a, a believer of the things that she says. I will give her credit for that. And she fucking hates the Santas. And so we get along great for that. I actually told her the other day, I was like, next time you're in DC, I'm buying you a glass of champagne and we're celebrating how we helped take down Ron DeSantis' presidential hopes. Um, I said, as long as we don't talk about anything else, <laughs> no other politics. And, um, and like, we'll so the weird part about this too, right, is so now Rebecca's cozying up to Laura Loomer. Now in the 2020 campaign, I actually ran a statewide initiative with one of her primary contenders, another Republican who is just as much on the crazy train. And we had to do the same thing where we're like, okay, look, we're trying to like get grassroots candidates on here. Um, but then he did give me a Republican dick pic, which was a picture of his gun. So um, yeah. okay. really fascinating um, encounter there. But, um, <laughs> but um, 
you know, broken, broken clocks are right twice a year. I mean, she did help me um, figure out who was doing the Max Nordeau account Twitter spaces. She figured out that it was Ron DeSantis's press secretary, Brian Griffin, by actually hiring somebody to do a comparative voice analysis of recordings. <laughs> oh, she went, she went hard on it. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, she's, she's done some helpful stuff for me, so I can't do, say too much. But um, I was gonna say there was one thing just on Laura Loomer. There was she did an interview with Trump, right? Um, mm -hmm. at like at some point on the campaign trail, and she got so much flack on that. Like it was like, oh, Loomer's gonna ruin Trump's campaign, and I was just like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't understand. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. It was like. A, like a month or so ago and it's it's just i know she's been like a very interesting character within that whole circle of folks and she was one of the ogs to get thrown off of twitter like yes. we were the only two candidates for federal office in the united states in 2022 that were not allowed to have twitter accounts hers was for election misinformation and some vile and vicious things that she had said about a number of groups of people yeah, it was before that was like all this like anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim. Yeah. Well, no, 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 not anti-Semitic. She's Jewish. Um, no. anti-Muslim. Sorry, um, anti-Muslim. Yeah. But uh mine was for oversharing a Miami Herald news article. <laughs> so, you know, same Z's. Um, but uh speaking of far-right conspiracy, we also we got some national notoriety when I took down the sound of freedom. Um astroturfing oh, thing we made it on uh inside edition and a whole bunch of other stuff because oh, i kept hearing about, is still on huh yeah it is um <laughs> a bunch of uh people who were working in theaters were getting attacked for saying like they it was sold out but nobody was there so i was like fuck it i'll just go i'll find out turns out yeah uh it was one of the most astroturfed movies in history the multiple people associated with that film have since been arrested for a variety of sex crimes yeah, it, the, it, the whole thing was a mess. Um, but it was just absolutely ridiculous the way that, that that movie managed to get into common dialogue, all because basically the studio was encouraging people to buy double tickets to give away, which they didn't, or nobody took one or the other. And that was really weird because I remember that was the hottest week in Earth's history. And, you know, three hours in a move, cold movie theater sounds like a fantastic thing. And still nobody was taking these tickets. I don't care what the fuck the movie is. I'll take three hours in a cold theater if I'm broke and it's like 100 degrees out. Well, and it was like there was like churches that were buying blocks. Yes. And then yes. it turns out that the, the, the movie producers themselves were buying up blocks, right? Yes. And, um, I mean, it's pretty easy to make people think more people are seeing your movie when at the end of the movie you say, hey – buy more tickets, we'll give them to people for free so they can all see this important message and people were doing it. So, yeah. you know, if every time you sold one ticket, it looks like two, that's one or of five. the ways. <laughs> yeah, or five or whatever um, to do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I went to several theaters. I took screenshots of, you know, sold out theaters that when I went there, there was like nobody or like one or two people and um, didn't even know what they were seeing. One group of people, I just went up and asked them. I was like, oh, so it's like, are you to verify for the trolls that that was the showtime and the film that I was there to watch matched with the screenshot I took? And I was like, oh, are you here to see? What are you here to see at, you know, 250 or whatever? And she didn't even know. She was like, oh, let me look. 
and like had to look up on her phone what movie she was there to see. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, not to mention that everything in it in itself was a fabrication and it's grossly misrepresentative of act what is actually happening with sex trafficking in the United States and worldwide. Um, mm -hmm. a lot of and it's vigilante bullshit too. Yes, and um with deep connections to QAnon. Um right. not just yeah, that's right. it was a QAnon movie. Yeah, it's a QAnon movie. Not just the lead actor who is a believer in the whole QAnon thing, the blood essence shit and all kinds of stuff. Um, but the producers themselves, and obviously it was promoted by Trump and a lot of the other QAnon people. So it was just a, it was a fucking mess, but um, we got to bust it. And so that was fun. And I did, I, I went to some theaters here too. And every time I went in, it was not full. <laughs> yeah, I know, but whatever. Um, it's had to deal with its, its trash day ever since the fallout from all that, which is fun. I love it when they I sell it, they're selling copies at Walmart for $5 a piece now. Nice. Yeah, I saw it pop up on Amazon. I was trying to find a way to report it. I was like, just get the Christ shit off my Christmas feed. gift for your crazy uncle this year. <laughs> yeah, a recruitment tool for QAnon. Um, let's see. We had a bunch of other big stories. You had the Canadian wildfires. We had multiple strikes, the writer's strike, the UAW strike. Yeah. We talked a lot about how uh, the tools for disinformation, looking at you know specific cases like the one with the car accident with the kids racing from Florida. Right many things related to the Trump arrests and trials. Um, you know, there was a, a story that affected one of my friends with Joe Rogan bullying um, Nobel prize nominated physician, Dr. Peter Hotez, who's a close advisor of mine, basically doing the debate me bro culture. And of course, Peter Hotez is an actual expert who treats, you know, children and, finds cures for tropical diseases. And so uh, he was like, no. <laughs> and so and then people started harassing him. One person showed up to his house, um, actually followed him to his door. He had to call the cops. I was on the phone with them when they were out, when the cruiser showed up. It was horrible um, and traumatizing. And, you know, he's out there doing the best that he can with his new book, The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science, which is about the rise of the anti-vaccine movement. And how it is a well-funded, well-organized group of people, not just this sporadic, you know, inorganic or organic movement. It's not at all. Right. Um, it's always intentional. And so there's there's been that, that kind of shit, too. But, you know, um, that's the gist of what we covered, minus some of the more recent things, which you can catch up on. But it feels like a lot of this stuff happened a lot longer than a year ago. Like yeah. the Twitter files feels like it's ancient, you know, now yeah. and the DeMar Hamlin thing. And, and, you know, even the UFO stuff, was, it feels like another lifetime, but uh, that was all yeah. this year. Yeah. Well, time's really been like a weird experience since COVID uh, for a lot of folks, I'm sure for you, <laughs> it's extra special. <laughs> yeah, I moved in the middle of the year, so. The rest of us were just kind of like trapped in the same scenario every single day. So it was like Groundhog's Day. Um, uh, so, yeah, I have no concept of time and its relationship to anything else anymore. So there's a great clip we should put in there from uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer when he hires the comedian to fly the plane. And uh, he's like, how long is it going to be? He's like, I have no concept of time. <laughs> just like, yeah, that's how I... I feel this year. Um, but uh, yeah, guys, it's been a, it's been a, 
a fun journey doing the show for a full year now. You can catch up on all of the past episodes. We're going to break look at five specific disinformation campaigns, so ongoing, organized, coordinated campaigns to spread disinformation next week. Um, I can tell you absolutely that everything related to the Trump arrests and trials will be on there, as will Hunter Biden, who we have not discussed at any point in the show before, and I've avoided it for a specific reason, but it is impossible to ignore it as any as not being a major coordinated disinformation attack campaign. So we're going to cover it. Um, we've got a couple of other stories that are campaigns rather that have really kind of dominated the year, some more recent than others. Um, but you're going to want to hear that. You're going to want to catch up on everything we've discussed this year. And you're going to want to renew your membership or start a new one for the next year because yes. next year, <laughs> if you thought 2023 was bad when there were no elections, um, <laughs> wait until we have all of them up next year, including the presidency, because it's going to be wild. And you're going to want people that you know will break it down for you truthfully. What is the lie? Who is telling it? Why are they telling it? Who stands to gain? Who stands to lose? We need to talk about that kind of information, not just whether or not something plainly is true or false, because a lot of this stuff is designed and it's designed to achieve a certain goal. And if we understand that, we can help break it down. Yep, absolutely right. Confusion is the name of the game. And that is we're going to see a ton of that. And especially with the Trump um uh, trials and all sorts of other stuff. And who all else knows what's going to happen in 2024? Uh, there will be some good things, though, hopefully coming in 2024 and coming into the big mouth media. And I know Rebecca's got some big things in store in 2024. And of course, we're always looking for uh, peace and love on the home front, too, right? Yeah. Well, we're going to bring um, the movie is done, the documentary Whistleblower is done. Um, it's in the process of being sold right now. So I have my own opinions about where I would like to see it, but so does the director and so does the studio and none of them seem to be the same. So I have the least amount of say, um, because I did, this is not my movie. I don't own it. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that would be great. We would love to tour it in Florida, regardless of Ron DeSantis's impending, you know, dropout from the presidential campaign, which thank you everyone who has helped contribute to, you know, just knocking him down every single peg has put him at the bottom. And there are a lot of people who have invested a lot of passion and energy and resources in doing that. Um, not just me. I'm one of many, many people. And so thank you all for that. I will be popping just, I'm going to get the most ridiculous oversized bottle of champagne in the history of oversized things. And as soon as he drops out, I'm going to get a ladder, climb to the top of it and pop that shit. And then drink the whole thing. Um, just I, to and, I was going to say, and I, I'm not going to take that away from you. I think you should absolutely do that. But I do want to point out, I still have to fucking live here with that yeah, asshole. He's going to come back and take it out on all of you. And it's not going to be fucking good. And they're already pushing pushing bullshit through the Florida legislature. So we have not heard, even if Ron DeSantis drops out of the, the presidential race, we have not heard the last of Mr. Go-Go Boots. And uh, yeah, I'm going to still be on the front lines of it. <laughs> we'll take the movie there to help but you know i'm, I'm not gonna plan on staying there for too long um given yeah, what happened but uh, my i didn't gift, legally have to stay here <laughs> my great gift to everyone this year was Bootgate. um i started that earlier in the year it might have even been the end of last year 
with the help of a Republican uh, elected official in the panhandle who took a single picture thinking I'd find it hilarious, knowing damn well I was going to share it. I don't care what he says. He knew what he was doing sending it to me. And we birthed Bootgate. So you are welcome, universe. Um, they News agencies went to the extreme of hiring like shoe experts to try to debunk it. They referred to it in a post as a conspiracy theory. And I had to say two things to that. I did rebuke them for this. It's like, one, it was a joke. It was never intended to be taken seriously. A conspiracy theory is when you actually plot something to prove something. I just made a joke. Second, it's not a conspiracy theory if it's true. And by calling on your little shoe experts who all agreed that he's definitely wearing fucking lifts, it's true. So, you know. But I am proud to have birthed Bootgate. Um, if nothing I else in my you. life. And thank you for that. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. Um, and the ridiculousness of it just seems to keep getting dialed up. I mean, I, I'm having a ball with it. There was a picture from yesterday I shared that the, the shoes are so big on his feet that they actually do like the little elf curl. curling up. Right. Yeah, that was a picture. little bell on him. But um, we're going to have to go. will always He's find a horrible a little elf. <laughs> We will always find a way to have fun on the show because we are dealing with serious topics and bad actors and mm -hmm. it is stressful. And um, instead of just talking about doom and gloom, we always try to provide tools for combating this information. So um, those are tools that you're going to want next year because if it, the last few months have shown anything is what we know and what we think we know can be two um, very different things and it can all spin out of control very quickly. And um, so vote, like that. register to vote for God's sake, you know, especially if you're in Florida. Yeah, uh, everywhere. And um, start getting involved in whatever way you can in campaigns now, despite what people tell you, if there's a contested race in which the other candidate has no chance in hell, you can and should start donating to who is yep. the apparent winner early because they need that money early. It's much harder to scrap everything together in the last couple months than it is to have a long sustaining campaign. Um, like my campaign, they, it technically, I had an opponent who lived in another district who was clearly only there as a sham candidate, um, yeah. supported by Ron DeSantis, staff, which kept some people being like, oh, well, it's a contested race in which both women are pro-choice. So we can't, you know, endorse one or the other, but yes, okay. you can actually. And you another should. acronym E, um, I, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, yeah. But let me, let me throw that pitch out further too. I was like, if you see a Democrat running in a Republican heavy district, please support them. Please volunteer. Please donate. Please don't do this like, oh, I want my dollars, blah, blah, blah. So you send $10 million to like Amy McGrath in Kentucky, right? Who was not, you know, like send to these candidates because I'll tell you what, those small dollars going to those grassroots Democrats trying their hardest to fight against entrenched Republicans is gonna go a lot further than a drop in a bucket to a, a well-known candidate in another state too. Like, please, 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 please help us because the only way we're going to change the tide in places like Florida is by continuously running against candidates who've gotten a carte blanche and a green light to just walk into their seats because of gerrymandering, right? You have to help these candidates make a stand. Otherwise, we are looking at authoritarianism. For the long and run. Those candidates oftentimes, um, like I did, have robust, you know, plans and 
actual deployment of resources to register new people to vote, to make right. sure that they do go vote. And when we're talking about the Electoral College in states where it's all or none, um, especially in swing states, if they're running in a Republican district in Michigan, that money put there is going to turn out votes in Michigan in a Republican district. And all of those votes go to the same total. So it absolutely does matter. I mean, I did my job and I keep telling people this in Florida. I set out to, to really do one thing and I did my job. The only county in the whole state where DeSantis got fewer votes in 2022 than in 2018 was Escambia County where I lived. The only county in the state that netted more new Democrats than new Republicans was Okaloosa County, which was in my district. So I did my fucking job. It's not my fault that, you know, statewide people were terrified because of, rightfully so, the armed raids on voters that were used as propaganda. Um, but uh, every bit matters. There were, bunch of, there were a bunch of county leaders that sat on their hindquarters and did nothing because we had high rates in Lee and in Collier um, down by us. I flipped 50,000 votes in 2020. Yeah, uh, in a was one of the, like, I think three campaigns that was closest to what 2020 was. Um, but even in heavy, like democratic strongholds, like Maxwell Frost district, lost percentage points massively still won the seat which is ultimately what matters but the margins were much smaller mine yeah. yours and the guy who was an obama advisor that ran a charlie chris seat um eric i think whatever his name was um oh. i should know i gave him like a thousand dollars but i can't remember <laughs> um yeah i know right That's, that was back when I had a thousand dollars to just help people. And that was, that was a very close race. And I wish more people had put resources there, yeah. but um, that's the one that I think Anna Polina Luna is from. So I could have had like a, a great guy, but um, those three were the strongest performances in 2022 compared to 2020. Pretty much everything else was a huge loss um, across the state. So so look, it's just like, I just, it's like, I know everybody wants to like get their, their dollars are special and stuff, but it's like, please help these folks be in like the down ballot to your state house, you know, cause there are places where they're, you know, it's almost, it's 50, 50, 40, 50, you know, 40, 60 in places. That means that there are still people who are, you know, people who are oppressed, people who are minorities, women, um, you know, that are losing their rights because states gerrymandered or because developers run their county right so like fight them everywhere fight them with all your might because the it, it's coming like there's really bad things coming down the pike because we have crazy people and opportunistics and people who are looking at you know oligarchs and dictator wannabes like donald trump saying look where i'm gonna get my piece now so let you know just just keep up the fight everywhere and remember, a lot of these races, like in Florida, all school board races are nonpartisan. And there's a lot of mayoral races that are also nonpartisan. And by increasing Democratic turnout, especially when nobody's got a party affiliation next to them, increases local government power of Democrats across the board. I lived in one of the most conservative counties, Santa Rosa, in the entire country. One of our school board candidates made national news for talking about executing doctors who provide gender affirming care batshit crazy person. Um, oh. If that woman could have been elected anywhere in Florida, it was my district. And I actually convinced what little infrastructure of the Democratic Party existed to go out and vote for her Republican opponent, even though they're, they're not, they don't have a name next to them. 
Um, this woman was a former secretary for the Republican Party of Florida. Um, but the other lady, also a Republican, was fucking batshit crazy. And of course, Democrats were like, well, we're not going to vote for either. Of them. I was like, stop. Because what that's going to do is land the execute doctor's lady into the office. Whereas the other woman, we may not agree with a lot of things, but she's not going to go out and try to hurt kids. And so it is okay to band together in cases where you only have two options and neither of them are Democrats, but one is just extremely crazy and evil. And the other ones are kind of Reagan-esque, you know, light. It and is I was gonna okay say, to do that. And like, and do, that same thing, it, so. do that same thing with the presidential campaign, guys, because like, the, you know, like we, you cannot afford to stay home. This like quite literally could be the last time that we get to vote. So, you know, um, it's not a marriage, right? It's, uh, it's, it's just the type of transportation that we get from A to B, right? So, you know, you can either take the fucking clown car or the Ford Taurus. Okay. So like, let's hop in the Ford. We'll have Gavin Newsom. So, you know, we're not going to have Gavin if you let Trump win. <laughs> we want Gavin. God damn it. So just put Biden in there so that we can have Gavin. Okay, maybe we should end because we're like yeah. rambling and ranting. Okay, so thank you so much, Rebecca Jones, for joining us here and doing this amazing year in review for Misinformational. And uh, we're going to have uh, another uh, couple of episodes here for the end of the year. This has been our one year anniversary. And if you enjoyed this content, we would love to have you support us and support independent media at Big Mouth Media. Get one of those subscriptions, multi subscriptions for the show, $4.99 a month or $49.99 for a year. Uh, or you can get everything from Big Mouth Media delivered directly to your box for $19.99 a month or $1.99 a year. It would be an amazing gift for your lefty bestie going into the holiday season here. So check that out on Big Mouth Media, Big Mouth Media's website, BigMouthMediaFL.com. So thanks so much for joining us here. I've been your co-host, Dr. Cindy Banier, along with Miss Informational Rebecca Jones, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining this informational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.